0: Um, I am excited about talking to you guys, even though, honestly, I could listen to Nick talk with his delightful British accent up here all day. He's got this, like, David Tennant, Doctor Who thing going on. It's cool. Um, So today we are wrapping up our sermon series called Stories, all about the parables of Jesus. And if you haven't been here for that whole thing, uh, our lead pastor, Chad Simpkins, started off by talking about how um, throughout history, in every culture all over the world, people have used stories to teach each other. We can learn so much about our history and our identity about ourselves through the stories that we tell. Uh, so in the Bible, Jesus tells these parables. A parable is just a story that has a message or, or a meaning behind it. And Jesus told lots and lots of parables Uh, And there was always a a purpose behind what he said. So I've obviously got a parable that I want to talk to you guys about today. But first, there's something extremely important that I want to drive home today. And that is why these parables of Jesus, these stories, are such a huge deal. Raise your hand if you have ever been to a live concert or show in your lifetime. Any other fans of live music in the house? You went to see your favorite band or artist play, anything like that? Um, I love live music. There's a few notable uh, examples up on the screen right now. I love live music, partly because, like, spoiler alert, I like music a whole lot. But um, I feel like you get a completely different experience of who an artist is when you go to see them live. It's one thing if you're walking around and you've got just, like, music rocking out in your your earphones or, like, you're running the trail or you're in your car and you've got kind of your favorite song cranked up. But when you go to see someone live, you get such a richer, more personal experience of them. You get to see their facial expressions and their body language and their energy. Maybe they tell a story about how they wrote your favorite song, right? What they were going through and what they were feeling at the time. And then you get to watch them crush your favorite song. There is nothing like that face-to-face, real-time interaction to bring that music to life. So I have an idea for you today. Okay, I'm going to take a little bit of a leap here, but you're going to take it with me. Um, I want you guys to think about Jesus Christ as kind of like God in concert. Hear me out. For so many centuries... The Jewish people, the Israelites, they had this relationship with God where they believed that he had called them to be his special people and he had done all these amazing things for their ancestors, but he was still kind of this distant, um, uh, abstract entity where you kind of just had to do what he said, you know? Um, There was this, this gap, this disconnect there. But then one day Jesus comes along and Jesus is literally God Almighty as a person, the creator God coming down to our level to bridge the gap, to dispel the mystery in a form and in a package that we could see and, and hear and relate to. It's a whole different level of connection and interaction with God. It's one of the many reasons why Jesus Christ is such a huge deal. He's literally God in the flesh, the creator God of the universe live and in person, to talk to you. is revolutionary. And in the same way, Jesus would, would teach the people with these stories, these parables, and everybody there knew exactly what he was talking about because he was relating the kingdom of God to their everyday lives. These days when we read these stories, we have to kind of unpack them because our lives today are so radically different than the way they were back then. But for everybody listening to Jesus at the time, they all knew exactly what he was saying because that was their real lives. If Jesus Christ was walking around right now today in 2022 and you went to see him speak at a shopping mall or a farmer's market or the cafeteria of your school, he might tell a story today that goes something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a person scrolling on their phone. Searching desperately, searching endlessly for something meaningful, for something worthwhile to give them hope. And when they find that thing, that post, that article, that video, they're so moved by it, they're so inspired by it, that they immediately share it with everyone else they know online, hoping that it will change their lives too. You hear that story and you go, oh, I get that, right? Because that's our lives. That's what these stories are. That's why they're so important. And that's why they're always a great place to go. If you ever just want to read the Bible, study something, you kind of don't know where to start, man, flip to the New Testament, find the book of Matthew and read any of these stories and read that Jesus spoke and make sure you have a, a, a good commentary in your Bible to fill in some of the cultural gaps, That's my first word for us today. I do not want us to finish an entire series about parables and miss why these stories are such a huge deal. Jesus Christ is God, live and unplugged for humanity. And his parables are his greatest hits on shuffle. And they are amazing. Cool? Got it? I'm done. Go home. Now, with all that being said, I do have a story that I want to talk to you about today. It comes from the book of Matthew. And if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, because that's a great way to take notes and it highlights stuff for future study. We're going to turn to chapter 25, all right? Matthew 25, meet me in verse 14. It'll be up here on the screen as well. And in some translations, this parable is called the parable of the bags of gold, but in most, it's called the parable of Talents. Now, understand that back in the day, uh, the, this word talent, or actually the Greek word talenton, uh, was simply uh, a weight of measurement of gold or like a, a sum of money. But over time, over the ages, this story has been so impactful in our sort of collective minds that this story is actually where we get the meaning of the word, the English word talent for like America's Got Talent. The, the, the meaning has changed over time. So this story is a huge deal. Chad said that I could talk about whatever I wanted. And the concepts that this story deals with have profoundly impacted my life. So we're going to read the whole thing one time straight through and then we're going to kind of go back and unpack it. If you're ready to do this, say, let's begin. Again. Starting at verse 14, it says this again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servant and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two bags of gold, and to another one, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but... The man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every now and then you read something in scripture that just makes you go, ugh. So there's this master or lord or powerful, wealthy person, what have you, leaving on a trip, calls some of his servants together, and gives each of them a sum of money to be responsible for. Now, this money wasn't a gift, it wasn't a bonus. They would have understood that this was an investment that they were being entrusted with. So the implication is that the master in the story represents God and the servants represent us, God's people, those of us who claim to serve and follow God. Now, look, in some translations of the Bible, it varies what the master gave these servants. Here in the NIV, it says he divided his wealth. If you're reading in the New American Standard or the King James, it might say something like, he divided his property or his possessions. And I even found an interpretation of this parable that argues that what was given to these servants actually represents the gospel itself. And that this last servant was condemned for not doing anything with his faith. Food for thought. But look, I don't want us to get hung up on the specifics of what the master gave, because it's just the story. The point is, what was entrusted to these servants is supposed to represent something. That God has given every one of us certain resources, and it is of extreme interest to him what we do or don't do with that responsibility. Hmm. Responsibility, that word means a lot to me um if i had to name three people real or fictional or otherwise who have influenced and shaped my life the most it would probably be my dad jesus and (laughs) spider-man not necessarily in that order that's not i didn't do that anyway so We should all be pretty familiar with Spider-Man by now, right? I mean, we've had dozens and dozens and dozens of movies and TV shows and cartoons about this character. And recently, Marvel made a movie that had several of those Spider-Mans in the same film, and it was rad. But there's a simple philosophy. There is a, a motto, a mantra, that drives this character, that makes him continue to be a hero, especially when it gets hard. If you know what that is, all together now... With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, I, See, these are my people. I knew it. With great power comes great responsibility. Did you know that that's biblical? When I read that decades ago in the comic books, it changed my life. But in particular... As a Christian, this has been so impactful to my life that I actually want to hit pause on this story real quick and take you guys to another place in the Gospels where this is spelled out. Put your finger right there in the book of Matthew, flip over to the book of Luke, chapter 12. It'll be up here on the screens. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 48, and it's the second half of this verse that we want. So this is Luke chapter 12, verse 48b, if you will. It says this, From everyone who has been given much, much more will be required. And to him who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That is an excellent verse to memorize, by the way. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, write that down. Commit that to memory this week. This verse changed my life, y'all. This has led me all over the world, doing music and ministry in the most unlikely of places, And in many ways, it has brought me right here, right now. So here's the big idea. If you have been blessed by the Lord with a gift or a talent or an ability for something, whatever it is, you are on the hook for that. That blessing, that gift was not given to you for your own amusement. You have been entrusted by the master with something valuable, something powerful, if you will, and you're going to have to answer for what you do or don't do with that. Now, of course, we should get in the mindset of viewing everything in our lives as a blessing and a gift from God, sure. But I feel like there's an extra level of of trust and expectation for the things that we are uniquely gifted with, those, those special blessings that he's kind of entrusted you with. What has God entrusted you with? What unique personal blessings has God designed you with? Are you artistic? Are you good at building things? Do you remember everything? Are you gifted with food, cooking, baking? Are you great at fixing stuff? Are you great with kids? Are you deeply empathetic to the point where you can read people's emotions like a book? Do you notice things that other people don't? Do you tend to see trouble coming before it hits? Do not underestimate any of these things. What are your talents? How has God gifted you? You guys need to know that I came this close to including some kind of like a strength finding quiz or something with this message. Ain't nobody got time for that, but I encourage you to find one of these or something like it online if you don't already know this stuff about yourself. With great power comes great Responsibility. What are your gifts? And some of you guys can answer that question instantly, but some of you are sitting there and you're like, I don't know. I get that. Investigate. It's definitely worth a look. With great power comes great responsibility. Let's get back to our story. Because just like these three servants, each one of us will one day have to give an account of how we have managed the master's resources. So The first two servants, the one who started off with five bags of gold and the one who started off with two, it says in verse 16, they went at once or immediately in some translations and put their master's money to work. What does it mean to put the Lord's gifting to work in your life? I'm glad you asked. Here's a couple of practical hypothetical examples. So let's say that you're good at making money right? Like, like, you know, these people are just good at making money. Like anything they touch just kind of blows up. Do you know anybody like this and also hate them? Okay. (laughs) So let's say, (laughs) let's say that that's you. All right. So you say, okay, I seem to have a knack for this seems to come easily. Everybody says I'm good at this. Maybe I'll see what I can do with this to help other people to serve the kingdom of God. There's a right way to use these gifts and a not so right way to use this. So your right way to use a gift like being good at making money, maybe that looks like organizing a fundraiser for a local food pantry or shelter for the homeless. Maybe that looks like managing funds for a local church outreach or volunteering in a program where you give people financial advice. Maybe that looks like starting a class or a neighborhood life group around teaching people biblical, God-centered views on how to manage their finances. We've got something like that here at the church, by the way. There's a Dave Ramsey course, uh, Financial Peace. We have a subscription to that. It's free for you. Go check it out. These are all uh, service-minded, outward-looking things that you can do with a gift like making money. There's a wrong way to use a gift like that, too. To just get rich. However, you can, legally or illegally, to have a comfy, easy life. It's also better, I feel like, than just giving a whole bunch of money away, you know? Like, just like donating a lot of money to some charity or nonprofit without a second thought, without any involvement. Anybody who has money can throw money at stuff. What are you doing with your gift? Here's another example let's say that you're good with people. Right. Like you have a a natural charm and charisma to where it's just really easy to talk to anybody. There's a right way to use that. So you say, I'm going to use my people magnet gift for God to network for the kingdom. I'm going to be intentional about striking up conversations with people when I'm at the gym or in line at Starbucks or whatever. And I'm going to be intentional about meeting people who are different from me. I'm going to listen to them, really listen to them and make them feel seen and heard. And then if there's an opportunity, I'm going to share what the grace of God has done in my life and invite them to church, either here or online. Not everybody can do that, right? Like some of you, that very thought of that strikes terror in you, I can tell. But some of you are like, oh, yeah, I could do that. You know why? Because you're good at that stuff. You're halfway doing it all the time anyway. But there's a wrong way to use a people magnet gift. Manipulating people. Seducing people. Lying and hustling to get ahead. You want to build your kingdom. You want to run for public office. You want to take the top spot at the company. And it's all about you. For every talent or gift, whatever it is that anybody has, there's a healthy, productive Um, service-oriented application for it. But as sure as there's a dark side of the force and it is no joke at all, there's also an abusive way to use our gifts, uh, a selfish, harmful, uh, uh, me-first way to use them. And I really feel like one of the things that's wrong with our world sometimes and the reason it feels so broken and unbalanced has to do with people using their considerable gifts to trample and victimize other people. This stuff, the the subject of gifting and God calling, this stuff means a lot to me. This has been my entire life. Because with great blessing comes great responsibility. These three guys in this story were all entrusted with something powerful, something that gave them options. Two of them went out and did something with it. But from everyone who has been given much, much more will be demanded. Luke 12, 48. Learn it. Now that we've driven that point home, I actually want to go back and read this entire story again from the top. We're going to kind of skim it, but I want to stop and just call attention to a couple of things. So one more time, we're going to take this from the top. If you're still with me, say go for it. I feel like that was less people than last time, but it's all right. It's cool. Thank you. Uh, Verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Pause. Each according to his ability. Notice that these guys all got kind of different amounts or like different degrees of blessing, if you will. But the master didn't distinguish at all between the results of the first two. In his eyes, they were both faithful and successful. It would have been easy for the second guy or even the third guy to go, well, I didn't get as much as him, so I couldn't do a whole lot. No, the master gave them what he thought they could handle, And the first two guys, instead of whining about how unfair it was, just took the blessing and went to work. And I feel like that's important for us because I think sometimes we spend way too much time looking around at what everybody else has got, right? Like, like welcome to social media, the great comparison game, she's prettier, he's taller, they're smarter, they're so much cooler. Well, if I was on the team, well, if I had money like that, well, if I had that job, well, if that was my boyfriend... I wish that I could be like the cool kids, right? Because all the cool kids, they seem to fit in. Guys, one of the secrets to true success and lasting happiness in life is to learn how to be the best you that you can be. Find out who God created you to be. Because guess what? You're the only one of you that God made. Do you know that? You are the only you that God created any place, anywhere, ever. Unless we count the multiverse, but we're still not sure if that's real. (laughs) So be you. Do you. Why would you want to be exactly like somebody else? You are one of a kind. Don't worry about the gifting he's given other people. What God gave you is enough. Amen? Let's keep reading. Um, Verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. It says, after a long time, say a long time. time. Investing the Lord's resources is not a short project. It can take a long time, years, decades. And as somebody who has spent my entire run on this planet learning and mastering a very specific craft, I can tell you that developing and applying the Lord's talents can be a lifelong endeavor. So if that's you today, whether you're here or you're watching online, if you're on that path, if you're on that track, settle in for a nice long journey. I don't know who, like I'm talking to you right now. I just, I I was working on this and I just feel like this needs to be said. Have some patience with yourself, extend grace to yourself. If you're not where you think you should be in two or five or ten years, remind yourself it's a marathon, not a sprint. God's timing is not ours. Thank you, Jesus. Success is not about being rich or famous or envied. Success is about being faithful and responsible with what the Lord has given us. 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. It says settled accounts with them. Say settled accounts. I don't want to scare y'all, but I want to remind you that one day God is going to settle accounts with you. He's going to settle up with everybody. And on that day, he's not going to ask you how many degrees you got, how many letters are on your name, how, what the, the company bottom line was under your leadership, how many likes and thumbs up you got on that poster, any of that stuff. He's going to ask you, what did you do with my son's sacrifice? And what did you do with what I gave you? What's your answer? You better have one. What do you think he'll say? What do you want to hear him say? (laughs) Because I'll tell you this, you do not want to hear God call you wicked and lazy. Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. Likewise, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. But then this third guy gets up. And I feel like this guy is like clearly nervous now, right? From watching the other two people go, right? Like this explanation kind of reeks of like guilt and anxiety to me. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, I, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and, uh, and, and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And uh, I, I went and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Verse 25 says, so I was afraid. Say afraid. How many times have we let fear stop us from doing the things, from being the people that God wants us to be. How many times in life have you known exactly what the right thing was to do? You knew exactly what God wanted you to do and you just chickened out. Probably an awful lot if you're anything like me. Guys, if you don't walk away from this message with anything else, can I challenge you to be bold? Let's be bold in our faith. Let's be bold in our walk with God. Time is short. The master's coming back. We need to be brave and bold. We need to practice the ability to overcome great fear. And not only fear, but also laziness. Because sometimes it's inconvenience that slows us down too, right? The master said, you wicked and lazy servant. You do not want to hear that from God, y'all. That's not a good look. I actually want to finish this up today by reading this last part of this story in the message version of the Bible. You guys may know that the message is not really a a, a translation of Scripture so much as kind of a paraphrasing of it. But I find that it can be helpful to get additional meaning from things when you read the message alongside a translation like the NIV or the NASB. So one more time. I'm just going to read this ending in the message. It'll be up here on the screen. We're starting at verse 24, and this is what it said. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, Where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. So you see what I mean? The wordplay is completely different, but the vibe is the same. I think it's really interesting that it wasn't even the misuse of his talent that the master was condemning, it is the inactivity, the lack of use at all. It says he buried it. The third servant did nothing with his gift. I feel like Metabel from Encanto would switch places with this guy in a heartbeat. Ooh, he's not using his gift. I'll take it. Still waiting on a miracle over here. It says, take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. I think God wants us to be a little more daring in the way we live. Because look, if we're only using his gifts for ourselves or not at all, what a waste, what a shame, what a sin. Now, look, I got to say this. Look at me, everybody, because this is super important. I am not telling you that you have to go out and do more stuff for God or you're not going to get into heaven. That is not the gospel. That is not the point of this story. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. Amen. You cannot work your way into heaven. It's not happening. And if you walk away from this thinking, that's what I said. Then you can end up in a really um, legalistic um, works-based, guilt-ridden relationship with God, and that is not my intent. Put your trust in Jesus first, last and always, and then be secure enough in that settled relationship to responsibly and boldly apply your talent, apply your faith, really, where he is leading you. And I want to close today by issuing this challenge. I have like a three, um, I have a three question challenge for you, whether you're here, whether you're watching online, write this down. Here we go. Number one, is there a gift, a talent or a treasure God has entrusted you with that you've been hiding in the ground? If so, what is it? Only you can answer that question. Spend some time in prayer, spend some time in worship. Find out if God has entrusted you with something that you've been sleeping on. Number two, what would you do with that if you weren't afraid? Here is a great question to ask yourself for the rest of your life, like no matter what you're doing. If you weren't afraid, what would you do? Think about it, pray about it, and then if it seems right, go do that thing. You might be astonished at the results. And number three, What's your next step? What practical steps can you take right now to move forward with God's investment in you? If you have no idea, might I suggest joining one of our neighborhood life groups where you can get around other servants of God and they can help you discover this journey, discover this calling. You can do that today. You can sign up online or outside just like Nick was talking about earlier. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to following God's path. You've been taking a break. You've been away for a long time, but you know it's time to come back. You can do that today. As soon as we get done this morning, there'll be members of our prayer team uh, over here on the side, and I might even ask a few of the elders to jump in just to make sure we have enough people. They will be happy to pray with you, help you get back on track. And finally, finally, If you've never made that decision in the first place, to surrender your life to God, to make Jesus Christ your commanding officer, you can do that today. We don't do this very often around here, but I want to give you that opportunity as we move into our communion time. If you're here today, hopefully you picked up one of these little cups on your way in. If not, just put your hand up. The ushers will will hook you up. And as we get ready to take communion, guys, I I really hope that that this series will not be the end of your time with these parables, these stories. They are Jesus' greatest hits. And there's so much that we can learn from them. We've really only scratched the surface these last several weeks. So I hope that this series has inspired you to spend your own time reading and studying them. And that in time, you will develop a love for the wisdom that's there.